Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. I'll give up on what the restaurant industry was, but I think guests are going to be so much more receptive and open to change, doing things differently. And they're going to be craving that interaction and that hospitality, which you can't get by ordering takeout every single night. And so uh, I'm excited for when we get there. There's a lot of work that has to happen as a country, as an industry before we do. But I can't wait to be able to look back and say, wow, look at where we were. And unfortunately, it took something like this to happen to get us to where we are today. But I'll be damned if we're going to squander it. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Parting is such sweet sorrow. This marks the end of season one, and I miss you guys already, but don't worry. Season two launches Tuesday, October 6th, and we've got some amazing guests lined up, including Seth Godin, Cat Cole, John Taffer, and Brooke Williamson. Also, be sure to download our Restaurant Reset Guide, providing insights and strategies from Yelp, Cornell University, John Taffer, and Oyster Sunday. Go to joshcopel.com forward slash resources to download your copy today. Didn't write that down? Don't worry, there's a link in the show notes. He was the chief restaurant officer of Union Square Hospitality with 20 plus locations. He then became the president of Bar Taco, a restaurant group with 30 plus locations across 10 states. In his spare time, he became a master sommelier. By all metrics, Sabato Cigaria is a huge success, but with such a high failure rate in the industry, what elements are required to achieve that level of success? Today, Sabato teaches us the lessons he learned while working with the best to become the best. We begin his story in 2013, when he begins his journey at Union Square Hospitality. I want to jump back to 2013. In 2013, you assumed the role of the Chief Restaurant Officer at Union Square Hospitality Group. Dude, that is a big seat to fill. How old were you, and did you feel prepared to take on the role? So I was, I have to do some math now, I think I was 37 at the time. And you were a child. What, Yes. It's young. Uh, I mean, it is. Yes, it definitely is. And, you know, before I moved to New York to do that, uh, the biggest town that I'd lived in post-college was Aspen, Colorado, with a population of 5,000 people. So Mm -hmm. it was big on a number of fronts. And I think throughout my career, I've always kind of chased the butterflies uh, in a good way. So how do you take one step, one foot in your comfort zone and one big step out of it? and not be afraid to ask questions along the way. And I think if you can show that vulnerability and ask those questions, people want to help tell you and answer, answer you know, the obscurities of it or help you the nuances and, and help you assimilate. And, uh, and I was very fortunate for the team that I was surrounded by to, that welcomed me in. And um, it was really a, an amazing opportunity that uh, I'm grateful for, for Danny and the team um, to taken a, a risk on me and to have invested in me um, and made me better. And I hope that along the way was able to, to do that um, with others and, and pay it forward. 
Well, Jeremiah Tower was for food. Danny Meyer was for operations, right? Mm -hmm. He just, he showed a new path forward that mm -hmm. so many other people were able to adopt. Um, in, in working with that company, what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about the restaurant business when you were in that role? A couple things, um, a lot of things actually. Uh, <laughs> made me realize how much of a people business it is and not just guest facing, but really about employees. And the, the biggest lesson I learned about myself and uh, how I grew was, you know, there's change management and there's change leadership. And managing it is saying, great, here's the change just, and here's your playbook, go manage this and keep the train on the track. Change leadership is when you're actually engaging people around you to help shape it, put it into play and make sure that it, it is stable um, as you go through that and constantly nurturing it and, and course correcting along the way. And I, I learned that a number of ways. We opened, see, nine restaurants in, in the four years that I was there. And so, you know, when you open a restaurant, it's like everything's theoretical until that first day <laughs> and you open the door and you welcome guests in. So, and then, uh, you know, employees and, and how everything works from there. But then also when we rolled out Hospitality Included, which was our um, no tipping initiative, the game changed for every single stakeholder. And you can model that all you want, but it's not just the rules are changing, but it has an impact of changing people's livelihoods, how people engage, and how do you make it a safe place for people to be a part of um, as they're going through that and ask questions to be transparent and build that trust along the way. And that was something that um, I don't take for granted. Uh, and one was, was one of the greatest um, learning experience and growth experience that I've um, been a part of uh, in terms of working with that team to think about it theoretically, something that was very forward thinking um, for industry and creative, like trying to find every creative way to, to do it. And that's the only option that we really had. And then to get the buy-in from employees, from guests, and to you know, have to, you know, have a pulse on it uh, every step of the way. And every restaurant was different. It wasn't as though, great, here's the photocopy of how we did the last one. It was so nuanced that um, you really had to take a, a one size fits one approach to it. I, I can't imagine that, that you only took from that experience, right? I'm sure you gave as well. What would you say your contributions to the company were in your time there? Trying to bring people together um, uh, on the team front, you know, tearing down walls and silos. Uh, I remember, you know, coming in as you were talking about how daunting it was. So coming in from the outside and I had the like ultimate internship is how I, I described it when I started because I spent like, Danny said, you know, first like six months here, I just want you to work in the restaurant. So I worked in every single restaurant and like front of house, back of house, like almost every position. And it was a uh, amazing experience. Um, got to understand what it was like to walk in different people's shoes and, and how I could um, impact, uh, impact their world. Um, but one of the things that I did was I was starting to say, okay, I want to have meetings, um, and kind of get to meet all the executive sous chefs. I think this was what it was. And so I was scheduling these breakfasts by position across the, the company just to start to connect with them. And I remember going into a breakfast in Mylino with all the exec sous and seeing them introduce themselves to each other. And I was like, what? You're, there's maybe six of you around the company and you don't know each other and realizing that's an issue. If they feel like they're on an island 
and they don't have peers that are in their position. And this is the the gen next of people that we'd be looking to promote and grow. Right. That we need to do that. And so it was being able to help open up those channels of communication, of growth, of inspiration, um, and ideas, uh, exchange of ideas amongst all the restaurants uh, was something I was really proud of to see that people could then move very easily between the restaurants or that you could have an idea, knew who to reach out to. Um, it wasn't siloed. And that was very rewarding for me um, to be able to do that, but then to see the relationships that were born out of that as well. You mentioned that you were only there four years. Uh, when, when the Bar Taco opportunity came up, were you looking or was it something that just fell from the sky? A little bit of both. I mean, you're never really looking, um, but you're always going to say, okay, what else? And at that point in time, I had, you know, we had 17 restaurants and they were all in Manhattan. Uh, they were all different concepts with the exception of Blue Smoke. We had two of those. And I could get to any of them within 30 minute subway and I could meet face to face with the team. Uh, I'd seen how the growth of Shake Shack had impacted our organization, how it had impacted the industry. And that was exciting for me and saying, wow, be fun to grow something. Um, and Bar Taco was a unique concept that allowed me to be based in New York and also in Connecticut. And there were 13 at a time. And it scratched, you know, my beverage itch. You know, for anybody that hasn't been, it's a coastal inspired um, kind of taco uh based restaurant with international flavors from like South America, but it feels like some of these beach house. And the thing that got me is I walked into my first one, ordered margarita and they took out two limes out of the basket and they juiced them to order and they shook it. And I was like something, you don't see this everywhere. And right. so that was one of those little things as well. What else is different and how they were, you know, the food and, and the approachability of it. Um, and they were looking to grow and we're looking for a leader to do that. So I was really inspired by the brand, um, what they'd created, the concept, and was excited to be able to take that and help shape it culinarily from a marketing standpoint, from a brand voice, and work with an amazing team to take that to 13 different states. And so that's what lured me away from um, every, it's funny, now that we're talking, it was like every job was my dream job uh, <laughs> at some point in the way. So, you know, we all, you know, recalibrate and, and put that out there. So that was uh, an exciting journey. How does that work? So you come in, they have what, 13 locations, 16 locations, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know, we want to grow this thing massively. Uh, at that point, is it is it your vision and you take over? Or do you take up the mantle of their vision and and run with that? No, great, who's, great question. Whose playbook um, is it, you know? Well, I think I... I learned this very quickly. My first job was at the Greenbrier Hotel out of college in, in West Virginia. And the Greenbrier has been there for, I think, 235 years. Um, the Little Nell, where I was next, was there for 30 years. Uh, I think in Little Washington, 35 years. So you, you can score hospitality group, 30 plus years. So all of these places are, are iconic in their institutions. And it's to me, it's always been very important to, um, to respect the past to understand the present before you can start thinking about the future and make sure there's a, a constant through line in that. And that's something that was, this was no different. Um, the company that started Bartaco had been around for about 20 years or so already. Um, Bartaco was only 10 years, but still there was a culture that was there and it wasn't broken, um, but it was saying, how do we actually stabilize the foundation? I said, there, you know, there's great bricks, but how do we make sure there's really great mortar that we can continue to grow on um, uh, 
from this. And so it was focusing on the people, the systems to make sure that what we were doing was sustainable and that through this growth, that restaurant one wasn't feeling neglected in the same way where Union Square Cafe wasn't feeling neglected when we opened Marta or whatever, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the last restaurant was uh, at USHG and how you could actually make that growth benefit the other restaurants um, that came before it. And that was really neat to see in a similar way, being able to bring people out of the other restaurants and leaders to help um, with the openings or to grow their careers through this by taking on a different region or moving them around. And they started to see growth within that organization instead of having to say, wow, if I want to grow, I actually have to leave this organization. Right. So it was a similar, but in a different um, different context. Well, but you also had subversive and like disruptive ideas. They brought you in to massively grow this company. You mm-hmm. turn to them and you say, we're going to have a central focus on word of mouth advertising. They, and that was one thing. Like I saw a lot of similarities in terms of the Bar Taco brand and the Shake Shack brand and the loyalty and the affinity that people had. And I quickly realized the power of that and not something that I took for granted or, or that you wanted to mess with. Because when you look at that, it's it's saying our guests are comfortable putting their personal brand alongside of ours and sharing that with their audience on social media. You look through how many chains out there and how many people are willing to say, hey, look, here I am at XYZ chain. And that's actually brand burnishing for both. And Mm -hmm. so this is a manner where um, we wanted to make sure that it was something that actually made you feel great with interacting with whether you were inside the four walls or outside the four walls and you couldn't wait for the next time. And so on, on social, you know, in the restaurants, we'd say, you know, we have to have hundred percent table touches, which means that the manager has to touch every single table in the restaurant every single day. And the same thing went on social media, that if somebody reached out to us, we owed it to them to reach out to them within 24 hours, because it, it, I, the analogy I gave them, the team was, you know, I remember in, in third grade when there was a girl that I liked and I said, I like you, do you like me? Check yes or no. And I'd slid across the table. Well, I was heartbroken if she never got back to me. But right. now on social media, if somebody puts it out there, there's a brand that they really aspire to and they really enjoy. And you put something out there and your emotions and you're vulnerable, you put out there for the entire you know, world to see and you don't get a response. That could be heart-wrenching or it could be amazing. And you build a connection out of that and you build a rapport. And that's what we wanted to do, um, just like we try and do in the in the restaurants. And so it was fun to to know the brand was bigger than any one person, but it's something that had to have a personality of its own um, before that. And that was really fun to, to, to work with on that. Any other tips and tricks to breed that word of mouth that you found effective? That's me putting you on the spot. Because yeah, like, people definitely. want to know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you work for two companies with like massive yeah. word of mouth yeah. uh, campaigns that were like incredibly effective. Well, I think it's, you learn a lot about it um, this day and age too with, with COVID in terms of how much we all want connection mm-hmm. and how even like FaceTimes and Zooms or how much, you know, how much more frequently we're doing those because we, we yearn for a connection. And so guests are no different. And so it's just trying to find different ways to, to do that. And even the ones that are the toughest ones, and I would read every single at both USHG and at Bartaco, I would read every single Yelp review, um, you know, uh, Google review, TripAdvisor, Facebook review, every comment that came in every morning. That's how I'd start my day. And there were some that were really hard to read. Um, and those were the ones that you really had to lean into and, and hold up the mirror and say, you know what, this is valid. It's not a shot at me. 
we didn't live up to their expectation of us and we could do better. So shame on us. And then seeing that turnaround was awesome. But then also when we got those amazing ones and somebody said, I had this uh, um, amazing time there and it was all because of Josh. He took great care of us. I would write a handwritten note to the staff member and we'd print out on a card and stamp it with a little dragonfly and I would send it in the old fashioned mail and they'd get it a pre-shift and they'd open it up. And that was a way of showing that that mattered to me, to us, and the impact that one little interaction that they had, they might not even remember it, but how meaningful that was. And we came up with a, a way of, of how we could then kind of make it a game and uh, said, how do you make guests say WTF? And people are like, what? What do you mean? What does that mean? It's like, how do we make our guests say, wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> and if you can create those moments, like we wanted our staff to have these WTF moments and it's the littlest things that if you can do that and you can start getting that momentum and almost like the, the competitiveness come out restaurant to restaurant. Um, that's awesome to see that knowing that the guests win at the end of the day and we get to have fun in the process. So just like throwing a party and that's what we do in the restaurant business. That's And what you're talking about is, is creating a culture first dynamic within the, the restaurant. Yeah. Um, which, you know, if, if it's fun and it's authentically fun, then I think that that does translate to the gas and that is able to expand broadly. Yes, uh, exactly. When Bar Taco was acquired by Del Frisco's, you were supplied with an infrastructure, the infrastructure of a much larger company, like enormous. What was, what was that like? And, and were there like aha moments where you were like, oh my God, so this is, this is how it's done, right? Because you went from a large company to a company trying to get much larger than that uh, to this like ubiquitous company. Um, like Goldilocks. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but th there had to be moments where you were like, oh my God, I know nothing. And this is, this is a whole new infrastructure. Can you walk me through those aha moments? And what yeah, you it was in that partnership. The, the whole thing was aha. And <laughs> the being that, First of all, Del Frisco's um, was a publicly traded company. We were privately owned. And so being acquired by a publicly traded company, and I think that's a key phrase where we were acquired. And so when you think about the nuances and how proud we were of being homegrown and small and, and, and really knowing everybody in the office to be then transported to Dallas, Texas, which is very different than Norwalk, Connecticut. And now you are part of a much larger organization that is, um, has their systems. And it's not like, oh, which system do we like best? It's, this is your system now. <laughs> and it's, it goes back to that change leadership and it's how you can make sure that at every point of the integration process that the body takes the limb, you know, and, and for lack of a, a, a better word, but it's really making sure that there's only so much change that people can actually go through. And how do you prioritize that? And how do you not erode trust along the way? And I have always been more comfortable in restaurants than sitting in an office. And so in a lot of those corporate restaurant settings, it's built around a boardroom. And that's where decisions are made. Right. And it's out of touch. And it just kind of comes down from above. And myself and we had a, a sister concept, Barcelona Wine Bar. And mm -hmm. um, Adam was uh, the president of that. And we were in lockstep about how we wanted to make sure that we were actually, the change wasn't happening to our teams and that we could actually be there and we could be ambassadors of them, both ambassadors of change, but also 
um, make sure that their voices were being heard back at the corporate office and not just saying, oh, it's just a, uh, this is the cookie cutter, not a cookie cutter approach, but this is the system has to go in here. And what works at a multi-million dollar steakhouse concept that the average, you know, their target demographic is, let's say, you know, 65 year old uh, businessmen um, having dinner is the same that appeals to, that, that applies to um, a taco concept where your demographic is probably 65% female, 25 to 32, very different. And if you're taking that playbook and trying to apply it to our concept, it's very different. And so it was trying to protect our team and I, I not to stand in the way of progress, but to make sure that we weren't compromising it. Because going back to our previous conversation about all the, 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 the years of nurturing and building that trust with our guests, we didn't want that to disappear overnight, which you hear people say, oh, I used to work at that restaurant when it was good or with that right. chain when it was good. And I didn't want that to be on my watch when people said, Oh, when it was good. And so I was really trying to protect that and knowing that bar taco would be there longer, hopefully it was longer than I would be there and wanted to always be proud of the steps of growth that it um, has had. And I was just a steward of that brand during this stage and um, passed the torch. Well, I've been, I've been to both. And so mm-hmm. the, there are, you know, when you look at like a Del Frisco's versus a bar taco, those are two very different service models, right? They, they come from very different core values. I, I, would, I would say that Del Frisco's is almost this servant-esque, very, very formal environment, whereas at Bar Taco, you know, your server's more likely to squat down, to look you in the eye as opposed to looking down on you and to ask you, you know, nuances about your life to figure out what will, what will pair best, you know, relative to menu offering. And so, you know, was that at risk? Was there influence? Or would you say that, you know, the partnership enabled Bar Taco to become larger and more profitable without becoming a watered down version of... It was a tight, it was a (laughs) tightrope walk uh, and it could have gone any way. And I um, like to say that we fought the good fight and um, Bar Taco is now independent of Del Frisco's, and I think that's probably the best play. But it is—it's yeah. hard, um, especially when somebody writes a check for three hundred fifty million dollars and said, "We just acquired this, and here's how it's going to be." And you can push back as much as you want, but at the end of the day, I wanted to make sure that for our team, that going through this, they understood that their world got better, and that um, we were holding on to the core of what it was. And so we, you know, really doubled down on culture and in that so that people would realize that, wow, this is what I initially signed up for five years ago. And wow, it's actually even more prevalent to it mm-hmm. um, than that. So they had a life raft through this tumultuous times of, of integration because the integration is not easy by any means. Right. Um, and especially when you're trying, you know, for a publicly traded company and trying to switch human resources systems, accounting systems, how you purchase, how you communicate, uh, email culture, the meeting cadence and like all these things. And, you know, at a company that big, there's a meeting for a meeting to a meeting and then a recap meeting of that meeting. So (laughs) it's like, how are you supposed to actually be there for your teams and for, and also open nine restaurants in the course of a year as all this is happening and going through. So um, it definitely wasn't easy and it was eye-opening. And I think through every experience, you learn a lot about the good aspects of it, but also (laughs) the aspects that you don't want to live through again, um, or if you do, 
how to approach them differently. And I have definitely more empathy for any time uh, if I go through another chance when there is a, an integration of, of some sort of what it's like to be on the side of um, bringing somebody into to your family um, of, of restaurants. And it's not easy. What inspired uh, the move away from Bar Taco and into what I would call true independent? It was um, the second acquisition within a year and opening nine restaurants within that year. And it was a, I'd been based in Dallas and commuting back and forth and been on the road a lot. Uh, and it was a, a good time to say, you know what? I've done a lot of integration um, the past two years and decoupling and then rolling that out. And so uh, we mutually parted ways um, and feel like it was very fortunate um, to do it at that time to reassess what I wanted to do next invest internally and recharge for whatever that next chapter was going to be. What is that next chapter? Wow. Who knows? All kinds of good stuff. Uh, you know, It's I not like we're in the middle of a global pandemic, right? Exactly. So right before all that happened, I had just been like, okay, I was on sabbatical um, and I was taking care of myself. So I'm going to see what else is out there. And then March 13th happened. And uh, as with everybody, everything came to a screeching halt. And I felt like I was in a very fortunate position in the sense that I didn't have to lay anybody off. I didn't have to make a lot of those tough decisions um, that I saw so many of my industry peers um, did. And I mean, there's no playbook for for what uh, we went through or are going through. And uh, so I have so much, um, I, I feel for everybody on all sides of, of, of the coin of that. But it also afforded me an opportunity to look through it with a little bit of optimism and see the opportunity. Because I think anytime that there is um, adversity, there's opportunity for innovation. And I think we're still in the midst of adversity, but I do think he, I can see some of the opportunity out there and really inspired by how some people are are reinventing themselves or having new branches come out of their business that are going to grow into fruitful branches of their own. And so um, been working on a project. It's not officially public yet, but really trying to find out a way to um, help invest in um, restaurants and help them weather this, not just weather it and, and survive, but to thrive on the other side and take advantage of this and share some of uh, my learnings along the way of helping grow uh, brands so they can take, take advantage of, of the, you know, the uh, infrastructure that exists out there from real estate to restaurants that have closed, um, hopefully better lease terms and, and different business models instead of dusting off the old playbook. And so putting that all together, if you can actually help reshape the, the landscape of restaurants and how restaurants operate, um, I'm really excited for what that can do. So I'm partnering with some people that I, that inspire me, um, and that I've, uh, been, uh, looked up to over, over my career and hopefully in the next, month or so, um, we're able to share some of the things we're doing. But that's where I see uh, the excitement, what keeps me energized and hopeful and not giving up on the restaurant industry. I'll give up on what the restaurant industry was, but I think guests are going to be so much more receptive and open to change, doing things differently. And they're going to be craving that interaction and that hospitality, which you can't get by ordering takeout every single night. Um, and so uh, I'm excited for when we get there. There's a lot of work that has to happen as a country, as an industry before we do. But I can't wait to be able to look back and say, wow, look at where we were. And unfortunately, it took something like this to happen to get us to where we are today. But I'll be damned if we're going to squander it um, and miss out on the opportunity. 
Well, there's a gold rush coming, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, when you look at, let's assume Yelp is right, a 60% permanent closure rate. Let's assume after a vaccine is widely distributed, uh, restaurant demand goes back up to 100% with 40% of the restaurants available to meet that demand. Uh, excess real estate, right? Landlords finally willing to negotiate. And I, I would say not a, not a more price conscious consumer base, but more indulgent, more price aware, you know, willing to put in the work and the heavy lifting and I can go up to the counter and order. I'm willing to order off a tablet at the table. Um, things that conversations we were afraid to have six months ago, eight months ago, right? Um, they, there is there is a gold rush coming, wouldn't you yeah. say? The opportunity to try things right now amidst this is like, so guests are so receptive to it. And if it doesn't like, we're so, now we're in the habit of like, okay, what's our playbook for this month? Okay, what's our playbook for this week? And let's try, like, it's spaghetti at the wall time and yeah. something's going to stick. And if it doesn't, okay, that, that's fine. Um, but I do think to your point that if you can shave a couple points off of your, uh, your occupancy cost, if you can look at your operation and, and stream, streamline it a little more, but still staying true to who you are and you can get a couple points there, how do you get to the point where it's going from single-digit norm to double-digit norms of profitability? And with that, how you can actually then, you know, I don't want to say loosen the belt, but then think a little bit bigger about what you can do from, you know, a culture standpoint, from a people standpoint. And that's how when you can implement change. But when you're at razor-thin margins before, like I saw with hospitality included, on that, on the old model, putting that in, it's it's hard, and that that puts a lot at risk. It's like all chips in, um, and so to be able to get to a point where you can actually try things that are different, and you know, even if you go into space, it's already built out. Instead of having to pay two million, and you can actually open it for five hundred, you're in a half a million. The the return on investment is it's a totally different model um, of of how you're going about that. Not to mention lower occupancy costs as well. So. Um, I'm excited uh, at the opportunities that, that will come and want to see uh, the good folks uh, prevail. And even some of the big restaurants, I think they're going to have a hard time restarting that engine. Like if you think about it, the infrastructure to support hundreds of restaurants or even 20, 25 restaurants, I'm going down almost nobody. How many of those people are coming back? How many are not? And then having to find those people and retrain it. You can't just flip the switch and it's back to normal. So it's going to be a while that they're going to be kind of ramping up, licking their wounds, circling the wagons. And so people are going to need uh, new restaurants. And so how do we help um, those people that are dreaming big and want to do something different to Carpe Diem? It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Um, do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to share? It is a tough and the one thing that I love about this industry, it's a community and you're not alone in this. Now more so than ever, we are connected virtually and what's going around the world. And so reach out and people are, I've seen so many people open just picking up the phone and um, asking me questions or I've reached out to folks and said, how are you handling this? Or what have you done in this situation? Um, and how do you help share and pay it forward to each other? Because we're all in this together and we want all boats to rise with the tide. Uh, it's not cutthroat, but you're not alone. There's light at the end of the tunnel and it's going to be by us all being committed to, um, trying things new, which gives you those butterflies, but chase those butterflies. That's Sabato Cigario. 
To see what he's working on next, follow him at Sabato3 on all social media platforms. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.